Here is my song for the asking. Ask me and I will play so sweetly I'll make you smile. This is my tune for the taking. Take it, don't turn away. I've been waiting. Thinking it over, I'd sad. Thinking it over, I'd be more than glad to change my ways. For the asking, ask me and I'll play all the love that I hold inside. To another edition of the Football Goodies Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Seplick. As always, you can find me on Twitter at the FF Goonie. And I'd like to take a moment on this momentous episode, as it is our first mailbag episode, to invite a whole new group of listenership to the to the Goonies clan, to our little our little family, if you will. Our illustrious brainchild that uh, started the whole Atlanta Foot Clan League that thus sprouted the Dynasty League uh, has now sprouted a much more gangly and a little bit scary appendage off of the uh, ATL Foot Clan League uh, body, if you will. I better use my strong hand. That's right. The almost illegal Dynasty Superflex League. Or most lovingly known as AIDS. And you're asking yourself, AIDS? Is this going to be fun? Are you sure? We're not just sure. We're HIV positive. That's right. It's going to be the most titillating, tantalizing, just head-bashing, no-holds-barred, greatest possible fun of your life fantasy football experience so uh just want to say welcome to everyone that's uh latched on the show and a big announcement on it is there's going to be an offshoot of this show for the uh for the aids league and it'll just be like a once a week episode a little shorter than this has been in the past although we are we are tightening up our format either way but uh, it'll be more like a, uh, a super uh, super slam, uh, WrestleMania-style little offshoot. So look forward to getting a hold of that and doing it and uh, seeing how it co- comes along. And before we get into the mailbag, the uh, one note we got is out of the Dynasty League, we had a trade occur. Uh, first one of the year. Congratulations to... Uh, 
Mr. Clay Jones and Mr. Greenwood for getting a uh, the first one of the year done. So congrats on that. Uh, it was Dante Pettis and a third round pick for Dallas Godare and a second round pick, both picks in the 2019 season. Uh, it's a pretty even trade, honestly. I think I favored the Dallas side, uh, Dallas Godare, because. Uh, one, I think after Ertz's contract runs out, I think Dallas is going to be the the guy. And we've seen how important that tight end position in that system is. And so you're getting a potential at a difference maker. Uh, Dante Pettis, on the other hand, I see him settling down into a wide receiver two on his position, uh, or on his team kind of position uh, after they get the wide receiver course settled because right now i mean you got marquis goodwin they're probably bringing back pierre garçon um but there's talk about antonio brown going uh you know if they don't get a big free agent signing they're going to end up taking a high draft pick uh especially with the one of these more prototypical like seven foot nine receivers that are all available this year and i feel like pettis is going to settle into that slot number two role which can be very valuable but um, give me the more useful second-round pick and the guy that it's going to take a couple years for most tight ends to develop anyways, but he's, he's got a chance uh, being my favorite tight end coming out of uh, college last year um, as being a difference-maker style tight end. And if Zach Ertz goes down at any point before then, then he obviously will be. We saw what happened with Trey Boo-Boo before he became Trey Doo-Doo. So uh, that was the only note as far as trades that have occurred so far. Nothing else has been moving. Uh, as always, I'm open to trading, and everyone's available pretty much on my team, so hit me up on that. And without further ado, let's get into the mailbag. If I'm given half a chance, I will do my best to grant all the wishes in your heart. If you need some consolation. Somebody let you down Without any hesitation At your slightest invitation I will quickly be around No! No and then! I'm gonna come in there and I'm gonna put my foot in your ass if you say and then again all right we were gonna get into the mailbag but real quick we have some breaking news as shockingly Kareem Hunt has been signed by the Cleveland 
Browns, what the heck is going on, Browns? Jesus, Dorsey. I mean, I know you drafted Hunt, but come on, man. Ugh. This is just crazy. You got Nick Chubb established after the first year after you punted away Carlos Hyde. You re-signed Duke Johnson for his pass-catching role, which we, you could have let him go, and he actually maybe could have been a smaller featured back somewhere, or at least a larger share back. And now you're taking the value of both of them by bringing in Kareem Hunt. I am hoping this is a trade maneuver, whether it's to move Hunt after a good offseason and they know his suspension details, uh, maybe move him to a team afterwards that's going to willing to pay premium now that he's proven himself on straight and narrow and served his suspension, or maybe they're going to deal Duke Johnson and... Uh, and turn Kareem Hunt into the pass catching back, which would be bad news for Chubb because Kareem Hunt is a much bigger, more physical back than Duke Johnson is. So he's more potentially going to eat into work of Nick Chubb than Duke Johnson would. And what, wow, what if they traded Nick Chubb now off a strong rookie season with minimal work and tried to actually up their draft pick from what they took him at? Man, this is just spinning my head. Oh, Or maybe they're just cutting bait and realizing, man, we can pay this guy a lot less and not have to pay him a bigger contract down the road. I don't know what's going on here. And crazy, crazy. I guess we'll keep our eyes peeled. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's get into, let's get into the mailbag, I guess. So the first question comes in from our illustrious uh, Keeper League leader, Brian Brodsky. He, said, he writes, One of my fantasy weaknesses of years past has not been giving enough attention to teams that through snap counts and scheme support three fantasy-relevant and consistent wide receivers. See Rams and Lions of the past years as example. Uh, do you have any predictions of a new team joining the fray as a team that runs uh, enough concentrated three wide to produce uh, three fantasy-relevant wide receivers in 2019? Uh, this is a really excellent question, Brian. Uh, it's a little harder to answer than you would imagine. Uh, I think the biggest reason why is a couple of teams with uh, the right personnel and uh, play callers tend to have a strong tight end position that's going to never allow a uh, third option to really flourish. Uh, examples of this would be uh, Indianapolis, uh, if they ended up picking up some more wide receivers through the draft under Frank Reich. Um, another one's Philadelphia. Uh, if Nelson Aguilar continues to push forward in his career and Alshon Jeffrey and they added a third option, the problem is Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are there. Uh, Tampa Bay would be a really interesting one as Bruce Arians has never been known to use the tight end, but how do you keep O.J. Howard off the field? But they already have two studs there with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, and then same with the Chargers having Hunter Henry. These are all teams that don't allow 
for that three wide set to be used in a prominent way. I think the the thing you really got to look at is a team with uh, two strong guys, someone that could take up a scheme, uh, step up in the scheme, and also there's no prominent tight end that's going to take enough work away. Uh, one that comes to mind is near and dear to most of your hearts with uh, the Falcons having um, having. Um, Julio Jones there. I think Sanu is a lot better receiver than most people give him credit for. And if they could get just the receiving going game going and not have to try to put in Austin Hooper to make him something and just realize that he's just a guy, then there's enough passing in this offense that if they really wanted to focus on it, you got three talented guys between those two and Ridley that they could possibly do that. Um, another team that probably doesn't normally come to mind. Uh, I mean, them and Tampa are honestly the two best. Uh, there's a possibility with maybe, uh, you know what? It kind of, it kind of negates from his schemes a little bit, but I think maybe the most likely one that fits this bill is Houston and it's more health related than anything. Uh, you got a strong young quarterback that, uh, has shown some real promise and, he just needs to continue taking steps forward rather than stumbling and tripping here and there. Um, if they don't really add too much into the run game and they improve the offensive line a little bit and they can get Kiki Cutie, uh, Will Fuller, and Hopkins on the field at the same time all healthy, they can all be relevant fantasy options because that defense is strong, but it's not strong enough to keep points off the board most of that's because they're linebackers and they're secondary they're a great run defense so what they can do is allow for a lot more and pass rush defense so they can actually allow for a lot more uh um high scoring games and will fuller is a big chunk play that his relevance is not relied upon seven eight targets a game so they're, I think Houston's probably the, the most likely bet of a team that if they're going to make that next step up into uh, that three-wide usable echelon, it would be them. And honestly, it's all entirely health-based. Next question comes in from uh, Mr. Axel, Stinky Frenchman himself. He asks, uh, discuss the addition of a plus one to the player position limit only for IR. Now, I think this is uh, this is entirely related to our Dynasty League, our original Dynasty League, as we are working on expanding the IR slots through a couple of different options. Um, as, it, as it is right now, from the understanding that we all have, is that when you put a player into your IR slot, it doesn't increase your... Um, your position limit so uh specifically something like quarterback that has a position limit um he's asking to really talk about it uh as far as like we can only have a max of six quarterbacks and if you keep putting in the same position you don't get to pick up more of that um i understand the limit as far as the quarterback because we're kind of limiting trying to limit the uh the amount of hoarding that Brian tries to do specifically, but so any team can't hoard, uh, therefore not making the league completely unbalanced and unfun and keeping it competitive. Now, I agree with Axel that the IR slot should increase any player limits that you have um, when it's being used for that uh, particular position. Uh, someone that has a 
bad run of luck at one position and it has a position limit in it, and then all of a sudden you can't roster an entire squad, not because you're not able to pick up some backup that can fill in, but because your team's not allowed to unless you're going to drop a dynasty quarterback in a two-quarterback league. Um, it's just... It's just crazy. It's madness. I think that our slots should reflect the the position limit, i.e. if they're not on your active roster, then they need to be pulled from your position limit, uh, counting against it. So in the case of him last year losing everyone and their mother, uh, he couldn't even take a shot at some of these quarterbacks because Garoppolo and Newton and... Mariota roll on IR and it, it was rough stuff so uh, that's just my take on it uh, I don't think that an IR spot should limit you in that way so thanks for the question Axel uh, next question comes in from the soccer fool himself Brian Gerke is it Gerke I never asked you uh, I hope it's Gerke or Gork or Gark I don't know anyway uh, he has the question of, uh, does your QB strategy change when each team in a 12-team standard league rosters two to three QBs? Uh, not entirely, maybe slightly. I tend to, if I'm in a league that is not like our league where everyone waits on QB all the time, so the value's there, I'm going to take it for the shot of like that. Um, I would say that I put a slightly more priority on the quarterback position as far as taking them maybe a round or two earlier than I would have. Um, I also tend to limit my risk. Uh, I, I have quite a bit of risk aversion at that point. If I know, uh, this is more speaking to like, I have a 16 team league and pretty much it's just junk at the quarterback after. So you got to take two um, or maybe get trashed for your bye week and hope for no injury. Um, so yeah, the, the, the thing I will do is I'll still go late, but I'm going to avoid, uh, that super like shot in the dark risk guy. Uh, I'm going to go for someone with a little more stability. Uh, people like Mariota would never have my vote because there's zero stability no matter how. And this is more speaking to like a year or two ago when you were taking a shot on a guy that had some top 12 potential. Um, other than that, though, I honestly wouldn't. I think the one strategy you can kind of look for is I would focus on quarterbacks maybe with a later buy if you still want to subscribe to a streaming kind of way. So you take a quarterback that you know you could ride at least until his buy. And after weeks five, six, seven, eight, when people are starting to drop QBs because they're like, I can't carry two to three QBs because I have too many buys this week. And that's when you pick up another guy that hits the waivers that kind of fits you and then you can go through it. And you go through uh, you can go through um, streaming then. I think you just kind of got to wait it out. There's there's two options. It's either you, you go for a late buy guy or you go for an early buy guy and take a second quarterback that you're more than willing to drop after that bye week goes. Um, so that is my best answer for you on that. Uh, next question comes in from Dan Krieg. Uh, first, or the question is, what has been the trade you liked the most in both leagues, whether it be one you were involved in or not, and which was the worst? 
Um, well, we're going to throw out, of course, the worst for me, which is the one that I felt the most and cost me the championship with the Cream Hunt uh, CMC trade that now hurts even more because I thought I was maybe at least getting Hunt usable this year, but it doesn't look like it now. Uh, so let's throw that one out because there's no way we could have known really that he was going to be suspended and had that not happened I would have liked that trade a bit more. Um, hmm, off the top of my head because I don't have it pulled up and I can't pull up any trades because ESPN is not set up for Dynasty or the offseason so I can't really pull up anything so I got to go off the top of my head uh, literally and I'm going to say the the trade for Hopkins with uh, with Axel on Clay's behalf I really liked that move I thought that was very good um, it didn't feel like he was taking advantage of him but the moves Clay made after it looked like he decimated his team after the draft and then brought back OPJ got Hill got uh, Hopkins the young running backs he got. I mean, like, there, there were a few moves Clay made that really built up the team and came around full circle, and I don't think it was always his plan. I think he just kind of went in the moment, and it didn't work out on a couple of trades for a while, but then he recovered beautifully. So those moves that Clay created, that wide receiver core, and then the, the running back depth he has in the Dynasty League, I like that the most. Um, I thought the worst trade by a long shot was Axel's uh, couple of faux pas, uh, sending away <clears throat> Sony Michelle for Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen I did not like. Uh, not that Tariq Cohen's bad, but Nagy comes from a coaching string of single back systems. And um, Cohen's definitely not a bruiser, definitely not a between the tackle guy. And Howard, as much as they tried to pump him up on the pass catching, we saw what he is. They just they don't trust him enough. He's still got concrete hands, as improved as he's been. So that is easily the worst trade. Uh, and then after that, he moved um, the only the best piece out of that, Tariq Cohen, and the getting the Coleman and then sending Coleman away and like these panic moves. Um, it, it was just a string of bad trades, not understanding dynasty. At some point, you're in the fight, but these are these are forever pieces unless you move them. And to to just gut wrench react like it's a redraft league and make move after move, like after the first or second injury and things aren't going well, maybe it's time to. And I know the trade deadline's coming up, but it's not there yet. And like, and you got a couple weeks. It's still okay to to tank the season and or at least not destroy your team and kind of try try to you know if you're gonna trade for anything try to move get some draft picks things like that so uh i thought that was the worst uh trade of the season was axel's uh especially the jordan howard uh cohen michelle one but the the overall arc that came after that was was pretty awful too uh next question is also from uh brian brodsky a, well, a sort of football question, but not a fantasy football-related question. He said, if all the NFL team mascots who are humanoid were to get in a fight, who would win? Um, man, only the humanoid ones kind of limits it. I would have liked to see everyone in it, but let's see if we can pull up 
NFL mascots. <coughs> I mean, off the top of my head, I'm gonna go with. Uh, and it, of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna get the uh, the biases, uh, the bias from everyone. But man, I mean, the Vikings were were Vikings. It's it's the it's the strong dominant. It's it's a human, strong and dominant. Um, we're gonna actually expand it though. I would like to see it. Uh, we'll do anything that's human like. So like Toro and those kind of mascots. The Dolphins mascot. We'll we'll go with that. So uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, Panther's always tough, but he looks like kind of a baby panther. I'm not gonna go with that. Uh, man. Uh, the Cowboys uh, mascot. <laughs> I'm looking at this now. He's just awful. He looks like a gay little cowboy. Uh, probably got some pop guns on him. Uh, by the way, this show does get offensive at times, so if you can't take it, then uh, you probably look like the uh, ghost in a headlight or the deer in a headlight's eyes of Freddy Falcon, because that is just awful. Uh, let's see, we got. Derpy Casey Wolf looks like he has some sort of uh, disability. Um, I do like, uh, what is it, Sourdough Sam, San Francisco, because he does carry the pickaxe. He's one of the inherent only uh, only weaponized uh, mascots in the NFL. Uh, look at Sir Saint, and my God, that giant chin. He'd probably just start taking a couple feet and fall face first. Um... Definitely the Vikings. We have the the football hammer, like I said, tough. Toro's got the horns. That's always quality. Um, Boltman just looks terrifying and tough. Um, I don't know what to make of Captain Fear out of Tampa. He's awful. Uh, he just looks ridiculous. I think maybe one of the derpiest looking one is Jackson DeVille. I guess he's a, a French Jaguar. Uh, it's between him and Blue or probably the two, like, eh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to say, let's see, I got a couple more. I'm going through the list right now as we're talking, but I don't want to kill it. Um, uh, some of the front runners I would say is definitely Pat the Patriot, just because America. Uh, we, 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 we've stood the te test of time and fought against the odds before, so that, of course, is pretty, uh, strong. But um, as much as it pains me to say it, I oh jeez, I never even noticed this. If you haven't seen the Bears uh, mascot Staley Dub Bear, he looks like he's from that uh, video game uh, Freddy Night at Freddy's or whatever, where it's that terrifying, terrifying. Uh, like Chuck E. Cheese puppets kind of guys. He looks like he's from that. Um, so as as strong as a Viking is and as tough as a couple, maybe like Toro is, they all seem pretty docile, pretty happy. Uh, they don't have the menace in the fight. Uh, I think it comes down to um, the Browns, Chomps. I don't know if you've seen this guy because he for mascots, he is like defined tone. He is the... The Josh Gordon off-season photo, meet photos of uh, mascots, whereas Zeke's looking like he's uh, six months pregnant in the off-season. Chomps is ripped, and he's got some terrifying-looking teeth. 
I say it goes down between him and then that that beautiful heroic jawline of the Steelers mascot, old uh, Steely McBeam. He just wins on name alone. That's fantastic. But he carries around that giant steel girder. He's uh, got a lot of upper body strength, 5 o'clock shadow rocking, and my goodness, he's got a stronger jawline than the, the tick. Uh, I'm going to go down to Chomps and him, and I think Stealing Beam is going to beat the crap out of Chomps with that girder. Uh, so I, I, as much as I hate the Steelers on a fandom level, uh, Steely McBeam is by far the the strongest, strongest humanoid uh, mascot out there, or any mascot for that matter. So I think he would definitely win the fight, Brian. Uh, next question comes in from Salty Mike Sailor. He says, I got a question. Why can't Brian make the playoffs? Ouch. Uh, so it's no secret that uh, the aforementioned Brian has had difficulty getting into the playoffs. Uh, I think it's for several reasons, uh, one of which is just bad luck. Um, on the part of our first Keeper League season, I think he had a strong team, and it just didn't roll right for him. Uh, I think he's kind of gotten in his own way a little bit. I think some of it is roster construction. Definitely in the dynasty, he went for a not-win-now approach so that you could chalk that up for that. And then on top of that, he totally killed his not-win-now approach by sending off good pieces for supposed good pieces that were injured that turned out to be blah. And I mean, in the end, who knows? Chubb might actually get eaten into by Kareem Hunt. And uh, Rashad Penny might have a healthy offseason, full health offseason, and uh, he might turn out well for him. But, I mean, those are some things, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing we can say is he's just kind of a loser. I think he just kind of emanates some sort of glow of loseriness around him. Um, he lost his hair. Um... He lost his students' interests. He, uh... I mean, he's just losing his mind over every time any of this uh, gets brought up. So, uh, I think those are the major contributors as to why he cannot make the playoffs. Um, I'm sure he'll probably bring up some sort of uh, liberal socialist... Uh, everyone needs to make the playoffs, so let's take playoff appearances from the rich and give them to the poor uh, system. As I've heard, he sleeps in his uh, Ocasio-Cortez uh, t-shirt every night, so that's right up uh, his alley. And uh, maybe he can get a win that way, or an appearance that way, I should say. Um, or I'm sure he'll probably just uh, claim he's not a loser and it's all been collusion, because that's usually what he does so uh next up we have another question from brian gork e still don't know how to say your name and i should have asked you that uh before this podcast we're gonna go gorky i know it's not right but it sounds fantastic uh he asks uh how do you assess rest of season value when making trades waiver pickups uh, I think this is a pretty broad question that's kind of difficult to to uh, just weigh in on 
one certain focus because it's all team dependent, league dependent, uh, things like that. Uh, some of the things that I do look for as far as trades and waiver pickup is once the season starts shaking out, and yes, things do change, but the season starts shaking out and you start seeing what defenses are exploitable where, what are tough matchups, I tend to try to uh, to maybe work a trade in that becomes favorable in that sense. Um, maybe I'm actually losing out potentially a little bit on a player, but I can get two pieces and the matchup's better for this guy. And he might actually outperform the top dog I send. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. Another one is uh, something that I'm sure a lot of us do is trying to, to navigate the bye week uh, issues is maybe trying to trade someone um, and bypassing that bye week because the guy you traded for already had their bye week. Um, as far as waiver pickups, that one's a little more team dependent. If it's something that... If you're assessing, let's say, um, a pickup just as a prospect and not a need, because I think we could throw out, once you need someone, then you need someone. But a prospect, uh, I'm looking entirely high upside if I have a floor set up. Um, I mean, it's always been things like the, the, uh, the handcuff that if he's injured, this guy's going to go off. But it's also things like, Okay, well, this team's got some matchups coming up where the slot receiver is exploitable, and maybe like Adam Humphreys hasn't been used as much, and then boom, all of a sudden Adam Humphreys goes on a fantastic run. Things like that. Um, it's mostly matchup dependent, but I can also start seeing trends. Uh, you look at injuries. I think the big one is trades. Is I try to look at what the team's trying to do or go to as far as... Um, if, P if players have been injured and that's a reason for increased production, I'm always looking to move them, things like that. Um, it's, it's really difficult to answer this question entirely. If you gave me some examples, I could tell you maybe what, what I would look at. But usually, uh, uh, as far as waiver pickups, I'm looking for home run hits only, unless I'm replacing a need. Um, I don't try to get the middling guy. It's all upside. All right, uh, like I had said on the chat, guys, I didn't get a lot of feedback from y'all, so uh, these next couple of questions will be coming from the likes of Brian, Brian, and Mike. So if it's important, I will say who, but uh, we'll just kind of bust through them a little bit. So next question we got is, oh, man, uh, for fantasy do you buy into the system QB critique, or do you believe every QB is a product of a system? I think it's kind of a both thing. I think that some quarterbacks are relying on a system to be successful, but if you throw them, if you put everyone on a page or on even playing field without a system, this and that, uh, some people will fail. I think that it's, uh, I think the lack of talent is covered up by system with a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys are not NFL quality quarterbacks, uh, if not for the system they're in. At the same time, I've heard the argument of things like uh, Brady's a QB is a system QB because if you put Manning or Rodgers in that same one, they would win even more. 
Uh, I'm going to disagree. I think that Brady's kind of defined that. Although Rodgers has more tools and they're all analytical and smart uh, quarterbacks as far as how they understand offenses, how, offenses, how they uh, understand defenses, and how they uh, process that information in real time, I think uh, Tom Brady's actually a little more of... It's always been said like uh, Belichick is a game planner. He adjusts according. I think Tom's actually kind of that too. Some of that might have been just what he picked up from uh, Bill, but I think uh, he's an adaptive quarterback. I think um, a lot of these like quality quarterbacks, they can play in any system, so that kind of shoots down the, the system QB argument. But at the same time, I think it's more a... A Jared Goff, as of right now in his career, we, we've seen what happens when the system fails, when they don't adjust, he falls apart. And it's as of right now, he's a system QB. Um, he's not good enough to beat at NFL level. So it, I do believe in the system QB to an extent. It's just one of those things that um, it, it's kind of the chicken and the egg. Not so much the chicken and the egg, but uh, not everyone's a system QB, but some people are reliant on it to be successful. Next question. Uh, this one's from Brian Gerke because we have a legitimate my team question, so I'm directing it to him. He said, uh, would you risk losing Melvin Gordon on my keeper league team to have a better starting point? I don't think that means starting uh, position as far as picks. I think that's just like uh, how his roster is constructed. So option one is uh, AJ is franchised. So AJ Green franchised and put in the lotto Gordon, Dalvin Cook, and a third questionable option. Or option two is franchise Gordon losing Dalvin because our new keeper rule uh, change and having Lotto between AJ Green and two questionable options. Okay, so he also sent me the, since I can't access the, the roster, I had him send it to me. So as of right now, he's got QB Cam Newton running backs are Melvin Gordon, Kenyon Drake, Dalvin Cook, Marshawn Lynch, Austin Eckler. Receivers are A.J. Green, Alshon Jeffrey, Cortland Sutton, Josh Reynolds, and Dante Pettis. And then tight ends are Howard, Henry, and Brait. So I'm the firm believer as much as I like Gordon. He has a shorter shelf life, so I'm not super worried about losing him. And the honest truth of the matter is if you lost him and you had to stick with Dalvin Cook, that's not the worst thing in the world, especially with the offensive uh, philosophy change that has come to Minnesota. Uh, I would rather guarantee that I have A.J. Green and one of Dalvin Cook or Melvin Gordon as opposed to only having Melvin Gordon and then have and then ending up with like Alshon Jeffrey and... Howard or Henry, whichever one you're more favorable to, then all of a sudden you've, you've lost all your, your clout. So as much as I would like to franchise Melvin Gordon with the new rules, having the franchise not be involved in the lotto as far as position, I would franchise tag, as assuming he's healthy, A.J. Green, and I would throw in Melvin Gordon, Delvin Cook, and uh, I guess honestly it's... If, if you believe in Alshon, Alshon's an option. 
Uh, either one of the tight ends between Howard and Henry, they both have question marks. Or even Kenyon Drake with the, the change. Uh, he potentially could be better, although he is supposedly going to be running a more Patriots-centric offense. So he might get the same B-hole treatment, but in a more favorable way. But that's how I lean. I, I definitely don't franchise tag Melvin Gordon because of the new rule. Do you think the Browns are legit now that Baker has rolled in? Okay, so I think the Browns are legit because Dorsey is constructing that team right and they got a competent, a supposedly or appearing competent coaching staff finally. Uh, Baker definitely helps. That is some stability at the quarterback position that they have not had in a long time. I know a lot's been said about him beating the QB touchdown record in not a full season. Um, That's fantastic, but there's nothing from Baker I've seen that gives him Hall of Fame levels. Uh, Everyone is like, let's talk on the QB rankings. Everyone's kind of getting into whether he deserves to be the number three QB in a dynasty league. Um, Hold your horses a little bit. I mean, if you look at Tom Brady and go back, he was not fantasy relevant for the first chunk of his career. That came later and quite a bit later, to be honest. He was a okay fantasy quarterback for a number of years. Um, They finally established the second half, uh, the run game. I think now with Hunt in... That water is going to be muddied up if they don't trade someone quick because you got a amazingly quality pass catcher. You have a amazingly quality bruiser that can pass catch. And then you have an amazingly in-between two uh, good with Hunt. If he picks up the system, I mean, Hunt catches well. He runs well. He's strong. And then the big part is he has fantastic elusive ratings. So I think they're looking with the, the growth of the defense, too, to actually to limit the amount of passing attempts and putting so much on Baker because he doesn't have quality pass catchers outside of Jarvis Landry right now. Njoku's a freak, but he's not developed yet. He's still taking time, and who knows? He might not ever get it. He might be Eric Ebron until he goes somewhere else kind of thing. Um, so they got a quality set um, uh, of run game options. And I think what I've seen is there's there's two schools of thought in offense now. is There's high-octane offenses like McVay and Andy Reid that are, are – it's going to be the, the teams that run this, like, we're just going to throw the shit out of it and all that. And then there's a lot of teams going to the, the run-first approach now. See, we, we, we mocked Seattle for doing it, and honestly, I'm still going to mock them because it's so archaic because they, they do it too much, but they seem to have enough success with it. Uh, Minnesota is going to get back to it. I mean, there's a lot of these teams that are gearing towards, I mean, look at Dallas, gearing towards run-first approach, and it, it's being successful, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that defensive coverages have changed a bit because... They, they need to worry more about the uh, play, play more uh, zone defenses and things like that because the physicality on the receivers and the quarterback is gone. The only person you can really punish now is the run game. So because of that, they they don't load the boxes as much. I, that's something I'm going to actually look up on data is overall loaded boxes percentage-wise versus not. 
I would I would guess that it's it, it kind of shifted, and because I think that there even though kitchens I. Kitchens is an Arians guy, I think, and he's air raid. I think the the moves they're making and Dorsey's making, that the Browns are going to go to a more balanced but run-centric offense. And I think because of that, with the competency and skill of Baker, I think they are going to be a legit contender. I wouldn't be surprised if... I mean, I would maybe be surprised because it depends on the development of Lamar Jackson and what the Ravens do with their receiving core and run game because their defense is legit and what happens with all the drama in Pittsburgh but there is a chance that Cleveland wins the AFC North like that is an honest to god chance and they could make a push in the playoffs I don't think they have what it takes to win the Super Bowl um but honestly I'll put a couple bucks down on them if they get if they get uh, really good odds as far as pay uh, payout on it, and um, I do think that they are legit now. Though I, I don't think it's the the days of three wins or less are over for a long time. I think I think they're they're going to be at least a five hundred team, maybe that low end winning team, maybe just under five hundred. Um, and until they get everything settled, that's when they can really become a powerhouse. But I think things are looking up for Cleveland, and they won't be the sad sack they've been for quite a while. Next question is, gun to your head, Dynasty rookie draft in a 1QB league tomorrow, and you got the 101. Who are you drafting? Well, I think you all know me well enough that the first thing I'm going to do is try to move out of the 101 and amass a slew of early draft picks through many, many moves. But let's just say I'm a dummy and I stick over at the 101. Uh, For me, in a 1QB league, it's real tough, man. Um, I think the big issue is there's only two or three receivers that are in a perfect position because of their quarterback situation and coaching and talent. Um, I think that uh, there's a couple of guys that I wouldn't mind going at the 101, but there's just too much flux, or flux for or who I would consider, not so much who I'd want to go to. Uh, I think number one uh, for receiver would be Hopkins. Uh, he's got a young Watson who's still learning. Uh, he's been nothing but great, and he's relatively young. Uh, Devontae Adams is in there. I believe they're in the same class, but the problem is I don't know what Rodgers' new offense is going to be, and I don't like that Rodgers is, what, maybe five years left of elite talent at best, and if that's if he's not already declining. Uh, Michael Thomas is fantastic, but we don't know how many years Drew Brees has. And OBJ is a total question mark because he can get a turd of a quarterback and we don't know because he's already playing with the turd. Uh, So it basically comes down to me between Hopkins and Saquon Barkley. I think Saquon is an ascending talent that is pretty darn amazing. Um, and I know rookies are never great to go, or running backs are never great to go early, uh, especially at the very, very beginning, just because the shelf life. But, I mean, the kid's young, he's talented, and he's got tons of pass-catching chops that are going to extend his career a little more. 
but I still think that the the extended age of an elite receiver, even one like Hopkins that's been in the league, what, four years now? I think he still has more time to go. So, I mean, for me, in, unless it's a standard scoring league, uh, I'm going to go Nuke still with the 101. And uh, I guess the last question comes in from Brian Brodsky. And it says, you win the Mega Millions. Where is your dream mansion getting built? In the mountains, on the beach, or on a lake? Um, I mean, I'm not one to build mansions, but if I'm going to build a mansion because I won the Mega Millions, how about a lakefront property on the beach in the mountains? So... Probably some sort of mountainous lake that gets a decent amount of sunshine and warmth through the year. Maybe Colorado or something. I don't know. But my answer is all of the above. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by, guys. Thanks for giving me the questions uh, that I could answer. Hopefully, next time around, I get a little more diversity from the actual questioners. And uh, like I said, anything's on limit or on limits for these as long as it's not like hey who are you going to take with your rookie pick or hey what are you going to do with this because i don't want to give you my one for one rankings over two people and who i would draft because or who i'm leaning towards so you know what i'm going to do in the draft but uh i love talking football i love talking anything if you have hockey related questions those are always great even though none of you are probably hockey fans Anyways, uh, with that, thanks for stopping by, and remember, Goonies never say die. This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right, on top. It's tricky. It's the place. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right, on time. It's tricky. It's tricky. 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 And rock a rhyme. I said it's not that easy. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right, on time it's tricky. How is it, Vinny? It's tricky, tricky, tricky. It's tricky to rock around, rock around. That's right, on time it's tricky. Tricky, tricky, tricky. In New York, the people talk and try to make us rhyme. They really hawk, but we just walk because we have no time. And in the city, it's a pity because we just can't hide. Tinted windows don't mean nothing, they know who's inside. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around, that's right, on time it's tricky. Oh, it's tricky, tricky, tricky. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around, that's right, on time it's tricky. Tricky, 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 huh. That's all, folks. John Dorsey.